the biblical mandate of one man to one woman in a relationship of commitment for a lifetime. So we've got people now arguing against that, but the Bible is remarkably clear on this kind of stuff. Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Truth in Life Today. And today we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. John Newfeld and Isaac Dagno about false teaching. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, questions that come to us. A lot of people have sent us notes about all different types of issues. Uh, issues of uh, um, talking about sexuality, you know, things that are coming up. And I know In Doubt Live will be uh, taking place in February talking about the new marijuana laws. Uh, questions about uh, grace, questions about uh, sexu like I said, sexuality, and all these different types. People are looking for direction and instruction. People are looking for truth. And uh, I find it interesting that, that Paul talks so much about false teaching. But I'm sort of making an assumption here, and you can clarify if I'm wrong. He's often talking about false teaching within the church. Absolutely. And so we're not talking about this peril of all those people out there that are trying to persecute us and confuse us and all. They do that too. But within the church, mm -hmm. how do we protect ourselves within the church from false teaching that's taking place within the church? Ben, in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about if anyone comes and preaches to you a Jesus other than the one we preach, let him be accursed. So he indicates that a lot of people are using the name Jesus. Um, because I don't know, you know, if you want to speak to Christians, you got to use the name Jesus. Yeah. So you can invest in the name of Jesus all sorts of attributes not found in the real Jesus. So, right. you know, uh, we were spending some time talking about a very popular preacher here in Canada who invites individuals uh, to follow Jesus and not the Bible. Now, my response is, which Jesus are we talking about? Because the Bible gives us the eyewitnesses of Jesus. These are the people that, you know, saw him, heard him, touched him, yeah. were personally trained by him. Or do we listen to the popular preacher who's come up in the last 20 years, who's telling us, no, 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 not that Jesus, but this Jesus. Now, I, I know it never gets expressed that way. It gets expressed as, you know, we don't do bibliolatry, which is idolatry of the Bible. We rather hold to Jesus. And I know that the scripture is very clear on this. There is no real Jesus apart from the one who is objectively taught in scripture. And somehow, even though I think we, we have to allow for individuals to have a personal encounter with Jesus and to allow Christ to speak into their own hearts, but we've always got to test that subjectivity with an objective word. And if it doesn't square with the doctrine taught in Scripture, we're just going to discount it or outright condemn it. I mean, it is the Bible's teaching on Christ that supersedes everything else that is said about Christ. We hear a lot about this red letter uh, <laughs> teachings as well. Explain that to us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, there are, it's a crazy thing. I mean, we all know that there are some, you know, some Bibles that are red letter Bibles and the words of Jesus are in red. And even that's subjective sometimes. i give you an example, Ben. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Now, did Jesus say that? Or did John, who is telling us of the encounter that Jesus has had with Nicodemus, does he then say, look, let's stop the encounter for a moment and let me tell you what this means. See, it's not really clear when we read John 3.16, did Jesus say that or is John telling us this is the meaning of this encounter? Right. 
What I'm saying is we do a disservice to the Bible when we say certain verses are really important and the other ones not well, so much. Even you saying that, it, it, it sparks my mind that there might be listeners or viewers today that says, John, what have you just said? <laughs> Jesus didn't say that? That has catastrophic impact upon my faith. Well, it shouldn't at all. No, because what we're saying is that Jesus um, actually uh, trained and entrusted the gospel to his followers. Jesus himself did not write one word of our New Testament, but he trained the people who wrote it. Mm -hmm. And so that means that whether or not I'm reading from Galatians or the book of Matthew, it's equally inspired by the Holy Spirit. One's not a lesser truth than the other. Yeah, that's good. And I think that has to be said. And until we can get that into our noggin, I think we're going to miss the whole idea of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it even, uh, even further in this generation, uh, young people, and they see all these different influences and Jesus being one of them, and it's sort of like, take whatever you want, the smorgasbord of truth. Yeah. And how do we defend ourselves against that? Uh, when, when young people are hearing so many different stories. Yeah, I mean, Jesus can be added next to Gandhi, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, just like kind of placed in there. It's like, okay, I'll take a little bit of that. Uh, I think what they, what young adults need to hear, what we need to hear is, you know, truth like uh, uh, Peter says in Acts 4.12, which says, you know, no one, like no other name, there's no other name that you can be saved by except the name of Jesus, there's an exclusivism that comes, and that's very much muddied today, especially amongst my generation, the exclusivism of Christianity because of the culture's um, you know, emphasis on equality and unity amongst all things. So this you know, idea that Jesus actually said some very exclusive things, like I am the way, the truth, and not our way or our truth or a, a light, uh, those are not the sort of things that people are talking about when they talk about Jesus today in a lot of states. They just talk about his acceptance of all people and his inclusivism of all people, which in some ways true. Yeah, he was very open to many different kinds of people, but not when it comes to who he is and, and the truth that he was yeah. talking about. And, and, and in the, the spirit of tolerance and respect and all those types of things, Often even when we see a brother or sister who are stumbling over their faith or listening to things or accepting doctrine or teaching that is not true, often we're reticent to even do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But what is our responsibility as a brother and sister in Christ? Yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, I mean there's a number of different responses. I mean, one is this harsh judgmental approach, and everybody rejects that because we all know that it comes from an individual who doesn't love us. But I think true love says... Uh, ben, if you're erring and I love you, why would I allow you to stay in that error? Yeah. See, and that's, I think, always what, what, um, what the call is for believers. If you see somebody wandering from the truth, Galatians says, you know, you want to make sure that you interrupt them in their yeah. way because I would want to be interrupted. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that's the call of God on our lives. And yet culture perhaps would suggest something completely different. Uh, being unloving is saying that you should believe what I believe. Yeah, well, the whole idea is that your truth is good as my truth, but when we say those words, we don't mean truth. Yeah. I mean, the idea of truth is that truth is true regardless of perspective. Yeah. And I'm not always saying that we understand the truth, but truth exists apart from me watching it. Yeah. And so if God has indeed revealed his truth in such a way that is understandable in Scripture, and I'm not saying everything in Scripture is easy to understand, 
but some things are remarkably easy to understand. So, you know, for instance, I know that in our day, there are a lot of people who are beginning to, to make room for sexual expression apart from the biblical mandate of one man to one woman in a relationship of commitment for a lifetime. So we've got people now arguing against that, but the Bible is remarkably clear on this kind of stuff. So, you know, in the end of the day, some things are easy to understand. What complicates the matter is our unwillingness to submit to, to the gospel. Yeah, and in our culture today, though, only to come to somebody and say you're wrong isn't good enough, nor should it be good enough. So it really demands upon us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to know why we believe what we believe. Yeah, yeah. So when we see someone in error, yeah. it's not a matter of saying you're wrong and walking away. Yeah. It's a matter of coming alongside of them. How do you see that working? Like if you were to see a brother or sister in error, mm -hmm. how would you go about helping them? Yeah, and I, I, John mentioned in Galatians, Galatians 6.1, when you see a brother in transgression, it says restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And it also says, but also be careful because you don't want to fall into this sin either. So I love that. I, I've always thought about that. Restore them in a spirit of generous restoration. That's what you want to do. You want to be able to sit them down. And when you think my culture, it's relationship is so important. It's so key. So um, for, for instance, I know recently there was one friend that uh, confronted another friend, but they hadn't seen each other for, for months and months and months. And this co confrontation was... For one, it was over texting, and they hadn't talked for a long time, and it was quite, you know, piercing, and uh, it kind of shocked this other person. So uh, I think there are you have to be culturally aware to know how to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness mm -hmm. in, in a cultural way. Uh, so you know, talk to them, go for coffee with them, sit down with them, and start to talk through some of those things. But you're right, you have to know what you believe before you can even begin to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one last question, and I guess it's a little bit of a deviation from where we're going, but I think it's remarkable, uh, uh, the message of James, where he makes the standard for teachers higher than everybody else. And, and I, in this day and age, I, I've heard so many teachers that seem ill-prepared to teach. Do they need to hear that message clearly? Yeah, because people watch teachers and emulate teachers. Mm. Um, it's, it's fascinating that we're talking about this because very recently now, uh, Karl Barth, who is uh, a theologian well understood and read by many people, uh, we have found out that he carried on an adulterous relationship for many a year. And, uh, you know, when people say, well, we've got to cut him some slack, the reality is he is one of the most regarded teachers of his day. And when he acts in this way, he's going to, even after his death, deeply influence a generation. Yep. And I think what's required at this juncture is to say his name, to say that what he did was a sin against God, and he utterly refused to repent for a lifetime. That needs to be utterly condemned. I wouldn't say that if he had been a plumber, but I sure would say that because of his station as a teacher. Yes. So when you're a teacher, you have to recognize that you will be held to a higher standard. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a message that uh, needs to be mentioned clearly uh, to those behind the pulpit today. Absolutely. Um, because I think there is uh, this sense that we can be storytellers and we can tell good, about good morality and good ethics and these types of things, but are we really getting to terms with the Word of God? Um, 
Isaac, what would you say to a young teacher today? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, know your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> know your stuff and, uh, and not just know it, but and live it. You know, you, I don't know, Carl Barth, I mean, hearing about that, it's, it's almost shocking because, you know, you hear about Carl Barth and Bible college and all that kind of stuff. And you think, how could a man that knew so much, you know, and wrote these big books and everything do something so, like, obviously wrong? Yeah. So there has to be something to young teachers would be obviously know your stuff, but also live it out and, and um, build up that relationship that you have with, with Jesus Christ. And I would guess there's that sense that there should be a message of protect yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think knowing that James says not everyone should be a teacher, yeah. because those of us who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, on the day of, well, yes, and on the, on the day of judgment, uh, we need to come to terms with that. Yeah. It is a great honor to be able to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But with it comes also, you f should sense a settled burden that settles on you and that God will call you to account. Um, Spurgeon once said, uh, he said, I, I deem myself to be a much greater sinner than the rest of you because I have seen a greater light than most of you and I have still sinned against the much greater light that I've had. That's a very sobering thought. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Isaac. And uh, remember to join us again next week for more Truth and Life today as we bring the questions that you're asking to Scriptural Light. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today. Thank you.